Well, today we'll continue in our series on from Romans 12 through 16, looking at the question of what is what does righteousness look like? In 1 through 11, we saw what righteousness is and where it comes from. And where it comes from is faith. It starts with faith. We believe in Christ. He becomes our salvation from the penalty of sin. We receive the Spirit. And then righteousness is then worked out in daily life only one way, and that's through faith, from faith to faith. And Paul definitively nails that down in chapters 1 through 11. And then in 12 through 16, he starts showing us what righteousness actually looks like. That's important since faith is an intangible thing. We need some tangible examples to help us understand what walking by faith looks like. And in chapter 12, what faith looked like was a body where all the members of the body are working together in harmony and the body's functioning as a unit. In chapter 13, righteousness looks like a community, a self-governing community where people are using their skills to serve one another and there's harmony and there's, there's love and there's interaction and people are loving their neighbor and there's rule of law and people are, people are, are working within the bounds of, of law and the law is good and not evil. That's what righteousness looks like in chapter 13. In chapter 14, righteousness looks like the weak bearing with the strong. And it looks like a company where everybody knows who the boss is and everybody's not trying to be the boss. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to look at the strong bearing the weak. We're going to look at what it's like to work for a company where everybody understands who the boss is. And in our case... We have one boss, and it's God, the Lord. And where we understand that the ultimate performance review is going to be from the boss, not from each other. That's what righteousness looks like. So let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Receive one who is weak in the faith. So we're going to talk here about strong in the faith... Bearing, receiving with someone who's weak in the faith. Not to dispute about what the person's weak in the faith about, but to elevate and lift up this person. So what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, it's important to just reiterate what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 gives the biblical definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you hope for something, can you also have it? Cannot. Okay. So if you hope for something, you can't have it. If you already have it, you can't hope for it, right? So it's the substance of things hoped for. So if you hope for something, and you have the substance of it, but you don't have it, then you have faith. It's as though you have it without having it. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How can you prove something that's invisible? You can't, really. You can have circumstantial evidence that exists can't prove air. Nobody can see air. You can see the effects of air or wind. But really, at the end of the day, you can't really prove it, what it is. So it's the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. So faith deals fundamentally with things we don't have and can't see. And faith is having those things as though we have them and as though they're tangible. That's what faith is. 
So when we receive someone who's weak in the faith, that means that that person has trouble making things they can't see tangible and has difficulty treating things they don't have as though they do. No surprise, right? Those are hard things to do. All of us are going, are going to have weak faith or have had weak faith at some point in time because this is not an easy thing to, to do. So that's what faith is. So now let's look at what strong versus weak looks like. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Okay, so what does it mean to be weak in the faith? This is interesting here. I guess you could just be real simplistic and say being vegetarian is weak in the faith. <laughs> kind of sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, I like that uh, bumper sticker that says if God had intended us uh, not to eat animals, why would he make them out of meat? <laughs> I, that's... I like that. But this isn't really talking about so much dietary things. This is the the, the, the culture in this day because most meat would have passed through the idol sacrifice route in the way to the meat market. So two for one, you know, you go and you sacrifice the thing and somebody gets their wishes made because you got to kind of support the temple, right? And the way idolatry works is I pay some money and the priest uh, gives me a blessing and so I get what I want. We're all controlling the world so I go and I say, I want the red team to win. So I get that. And the next guy comes in and says, I want the blue team to win. He gets that. Everybody gets what they want, except it doesn't matter. But at least the priests are getting wealthy. So that's, that's the way idolatry operates. And so if you went to the market and got some meat, it's pretty high probability it was sacrificed to idols. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us about this. And he basically says... Uh, here's how you operate this. Here's how, you, here's how you take care of this. If somebody comes, and these are Gentiles now. We're not talking about to a Jewish community here. The Jewish community wouldn't have this problem because they've got their own meat market. But he, he, he says, if somebody comes to you and puts a steak on your plate and sits it in front of you, here's what you ought to do. Eat it. God made all things richly for us to enjoy. But if somebody comes and puts a steak in front of your plate and says, this steak was sacrificed to Zeus, don't eat it. Because now it's not just a steak. Now it is a symbol of an idolatrous religious practice. As long as it's just food, it's food. Food is food is food. But if the food is suddenly becomes a symbol of something that's dishonoring to God, then just don't have anything to do with it. There's bigger principles at stake. So here we've got some people that say, you can't eat meat. It may have been sacrificed to an idol. Now, you would think that person would have stronger faith because they have more rules. That's the way we usually think about it, right? The more rules you have, the stronger your faith is. Just the opposite. Because, again, what is faith? The evidence of things you can't see. What is a rule? Something you can see that's really tangible, right? And what we tend to gravitate toward 
is the things we can see and control. Why do we do that? We're weak in faith. So we've substituted. Now, if you go to Outback Steakhouse and somebody plops a steak down in front of you, have you ever had someone send back and ask the kitchen if it was sacrificed to idols? We don't have that particular problem in our society today. But we have other things. I'm going to give you some things that I think people take as kind of rules that they make themselves put themselves under uh, that are similar to this. Uh, one is devotional life. I was in a uh, conference or a, a group meeting, and there was an opportunity where people could kind of ask people questions. And somebody asked me, "How's your devotional life?" And what they meant is, "Do you have a strong faith or a weak faith?" And what's the correct answer? I get up at 4.30 every morning. I pray ACTS every morning, at least 15 minutes. I fast you know, three times a day. Or th- sorry, three times, a- <laughs> three times a year. I, I-, I memorize two scriptures a day. I know-, I know this book of the Bible, Word Perfect. And, uh, and I read at least a chapter of the Old Testament every day and a chapter of the New Testament every day. And, and, then, uh, and then it's uh, 545. <laughs> so so then, then the other person, well, that is a spiritual guy right there. That's a spiritual guy. Well, you know, that actually may be a fantastic thing to do. And there's some people that might do that and, and that have incredibly strong faith. But the problem is, when you take that tangible thing as a substitute for what it's supposed to be a path to achieve, then it's a problem. Because, I mean, what, is there anything wrong with devotional life? Well, how in the world are we going to do the thing that sets up all this righteousness to have a transformed mind, uh, sorry, sorry, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind if we don't know the Bible? How are we going to do that? We need to know the Bible. But... Oh, that's a good question. Of course, you know I'm a rebel, so I'm not. I'm not going to play along. Yeah, and this guy was like head of a organization you would know. So um, I said, well, you know, people talk about devotional life because sort of like an idol or something. I don't remember exactly what I said, but said so for me, what I try to do is uh, practice the presence of God. That's what I try to do. And, and, you know, pray without ceasing and try to walk with God in my daily life. I find that to be a much more, uh, a much more uh, relevant uh, activity than just trying to do a devotional life thing. I don't want to make that an idol. Just, which they, they took, oh, oh, that's interesting. You know, they, they, were, they were okay with that. But it was different than what they are used to thinking about. Because in our world, devotional life is how you prove, you know, you're righteous. And why don't we do it? Practicing the presence of God all through the day is a much more powerful thing to do. But why is that not as attractive? You can't check it off. Yeah, you can't. How do I know I did it at the end of the day? It's intangible. It's, it's something that's happening in the Spirit. And in every one of these cases... It, this is what we're wanting to do is activate and follow the Spirit. And what we tend to do is activate and follow self-improvement. Just because it's more tangible. I mean, we're weak. 
That's why. So what are we supposed to do with someone who's still weak? Lift them up and elevate them and bear with them. That's the point of all this. And who is that going to be? All of, it's going to be everybody else you'd interact with at some level, right? Yeah, let me give you a couple others that are pretty typical. Sacraments. There are large groups of people that feel like the sacrament of some, one of the sacraments is what keeps them in good standing with God. The sacrament is there for a reminder. We're ordered to do it. Uh, It's a remembrance. But it's not a substitute for walking in the Spirit. But that's that's a weak faith. But what are we supposed to do with people that weak faith? Receive them. And not receive them for dispute, but receive them. Uh, Another thing we do is spiritual disciplines. Well, is anything wrong with fasting? I think fasting is a good thing. Especially in our age, fasting material possessions or media. Those are the two things I think we ought to really focus fasting on. Media input. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong. There's everything right with those things. But if you make that the test of whether you're righteous or not, now what you've done is substituted for faith. And you could just kind of put all this in a category of religious practice, even church attendance. All these things fall in. Do not forsake the assembling yourselves together. I'm a big fan of church attendance. I think it's a habit that really keeps us on track. But if you make that the thing and substitute that for actually walking in the Spirit instead of being a preparation for walking in the Spirit, then all we've done is set up a weak faith situation. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Which one would be weak and which one would be strong? The one that says every day is alike, weak or strong? That's, That's strong, actually. It's strong. Because... Paul said, all things are lawful for me. So God made everything. Did he make the Sabbath? What did he make the Sabbath for? For man. He did not make man for the Sabbath. So it's a day that God has made that we can rejoice in. That's what it is. Now, does that mean we throw the Sabbath principles out the door? No, we need rest. Uh, we, need, we need time set aside for God, but is there just one way to do that? So strong faith looks like all things are lawful for me. But let's just look at uh, Colossians 2.16 real quick. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These would all be like religious rules type of thing. And how, why would someone judge someone about religious rules? How does that work? You are blank, you're not righteous, going to hell, uh, excluded, going to be excommunicated, rejected. There's some kind of a judgment that's pronounced unless you do this thing, right? Now, what are we trying to do when we judge others? Control them. Yeah, we're trying to control them and make them behave. Why are we doing that? Why are we trying to make them behave? Yeah, because we're God, right? We got obviously God can't take care of things here, so we got somebody's got to step in and do it, right? He's on he's on vacation. He's a wall. Come on, God, let's get after it here. All right, you won't do it. I will. 
You'll thank me someday. (laughs) No, but look at this. Don't let anyone judge you, meaning don't let anyone cause your faith to go from strong to weak. Because these are just a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward. See, walking in strong faith has all kinds of profitable rewards associated with it. And weak faith, what we're doing is substituting some tangible thing that we can see and touch for something that has immense reward that's intangible today. So, does that mean that this person is not saved anymore? Or they should be rejected? No, it just means they're getting cheated. So if we can help build someone's faith, of course we want to do that. But if we try to control someone that has weak faith, what are we driving them to have? Even weaker faith. Hey, let me take those rules. Those are not the best rules. Let me replace them with some other rules. Well, that didn't help anything. No, here's what we need to do. Verse 19. Oh, let me just read 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, some kind of angel worship or some weird thing, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with increase that is from God. So what we really want to do is find things that make us connect with the head, which is Christ. And that can be devotion, and it can be sacrament, and it can be worship, and it can be spiritual disciplines. All those things are means to connect us with Christ, not substitutes for faith when viewed properly. Okay, so first thing righteousness looks like is the strong bearing the weak. And strong faith has the ability to see all things as lawful, but chooses those things that are profitable. Strong faith does not put stumbling blocks in the way of those with weak faith by exercising our liberty in a way that causes someone else to stumble. Because their conscience is limited by their rules. And we have to take that into account. Okay, so what's the second and third point have to do with what company we work for? So we had... We had a body. Righteousness looks like a body. Righteousness looks like a self-governing community. Now righteousness looks like a company where everybody understands who the boss is and who's going to give the performance review. So let's just start in verse 5, back to Romans 14. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day... To the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account to himself to God. 
Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Okay, so it's clear here who the boss is. And the boss is God. It's clear here who wants to be the boss. And who's that? Me. Yeah, I want to be the boss. And why? Why do I want to be the boss? I want to control things. Why? Because I know best. I know best. I've known it since I was just came to consciousness when I was six months old. I knew best. I knew when I needed to eat. I knew when I needed to sleep. I knew I knew I know all things, right? Have you been around children? <laughs> Don't they know all things? They know one second that they need to eat, the next second they need to get down. The next second they need to eat again. The next second they need to get down again. The next second they need what's on your plate. The next second they need what's on their plate. The next second they don't want anything on anybody's plate. They want something else altogether. Why? Because they know. They know all things. They're in control. It just we just came this way. It was prepackaged. Because we tend to just think we know everything. And remember, let's just go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's just read it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. After we figure out, okay, what righteousness is, and now we're going into how we get it there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice loses its life for the pleasure of another. The goat dies and we eat it and like it. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the logical thing to do, given chapters 1 through 11. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now what the mind does is it uses words, images, and stories to understand what cause-effect looks like. That's what the mind is all about. And we start with a mental model, which is what the words, images, and pictures make, a mental model. We start in life with a mental model that all things revolve around us. We know what's best. And happiness consists of controlling all of our environment, circumstances, and people to get what we want this moment. That's our mental model starting with. Let's just say everybody actually behaved like that all the time. What would the world look like? It would be anarchy and chaos, wouldn't it? Probably probably open hostility and, and mass shootings all the time. And then anyone, everyone would end up in a bunker someplace. Or you, you, the main thing you would want in life is distance from other people. But that's not what righteousness looks like. It's pretty much just the opposite. And the way we're able to do that is when we understand who the boss is. And the boss is God. We are the Lord's. That's whose we are. And when we start having that as our mental image, boy, it just changes everything. Who knows best? God knows best. Man, that changes everything. And Oh, well, he can't know best about this circumstance, not this one. This is an exception. Well, actually, he does know what's best. Uh, well, but I can't see it. If I can't see that it's best, then it can't be best. 
I know that eating chocolate and candy is always best for me. I know that. Actually, you don't know that. There's a bigger perspective here, young two-year-old, that you can't understand. And I'm going to make you eat this green stuff instead because there's this sort of type 2 diabetes and health and growing to your natural height thing that needs to be taken into account. No, you can't know that. You can't know that. Candy and ice cream. That's all. See, that's kind of what we all are. You know, think about it. The intellectual distance between me and a two-year-old. Let's say it's that, that far. How about me and God? Bigger? Smaller? Yeah, so we're more than a two-year-old. So we're more than conquerors. We're also more than two-year-olds. In terms of our capability of understanding perspective. And God's a great parent. He's very patient. But he really knows what's best, even when it doesn't seem like it's possible. Well, when we have that in our mind, and, and the picture is the story of we're children growing up and our parents putting us in circumstances that are, is for our best, wow, does that change life or what? When your three-year-old gets to the point where they realize, uh, Mommy, I don't like green stuff, but I'm going to eat it because I know you know what's best for me. Anybody ever heard words to that effect come out of a three-year-old's mouth? They usually won't say that, but at least they get to the point where they'll just suck it up and eat the stuff, right? Then happiness ensues. That What comes from that's happiness, peace. When you have to fight over meals every time, there's no peace at meals. And then when you just say, okay, I will eat the green stuff, there's peace. And Mealtime doesn't last an hour while you sit there and stare at it, seeing if it'll turn some other color. <laughs> right? It, it actually goes away. You put it in your mouth and it disappears. So this changing of mind about what life is about, and who's in charge and who knows best, it's transformative. That's why Romans this 12 says... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God is the boss. He knows what's best. Now what happens in a company uh, where everybody knows what needs to happen next? And they don't talk to each other and they all have different ideas. What ha- what, how's that going to look? Right, well, we're going to put this wall up. No, let's put that wall up. Let's put the frame up first. Let's put the sheetrock up first and then put the frame in behind it. We hadn't put the foundation down. We're framers. We don't worry about foundation. Let's just put it up. They can come in and put the foundation later. The roofers showed up. They don't have a wall to put the roof on. Well, that's their problem. We'll just, we'll just build the roof out here on the sidewalk here, and they can put it on later. It's not going to work too good, is it? When people aren't cooperating and doing their skill at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. Have you guys looked at the blueprint? Well, yep, yeah, I looked at the blueprint. We're talking about this blueprint here, right? No, I looked at a different blueprint. I liked it better. Well, the electricians are working off of this blueprint. Yeah, but the framers are working off of this blueprint over here. Oh, well, don't worry us because we're working off a different blueprint altogether. We're the foundation guys. What kind of house is that going to look like, right? But when you have one Lord, one boss, everybody does what they do best at the appropriate time, for the appropriate purpose, and you have profitability. That's, that's the way the company works. And God is our boss. Now, bosses 
really only get listened to for one reason. At the end of the day, really. What is that reason? Yeah, because you, if you won't do what they say, they'll cut you loose. They say, you, if, you'll do, if you'll fill this job and do what we ask you to do, we'll pay you twice a month and maybe other things too. And if you don't, then you can go find another job. That's kind of the way it works. And there's a performance appraisal usually that goes with jobs. And this one's no different. This one has a... We're in a company. We've got a boss. We have a performance appraisal. Now, this one's a little different. Because our performance appraisal is at the end of our career. Isn't that interesting? Again, we started with faith, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, this takes a little faith. We understand that new employees often need a quarterly review, sometimes a monthly review, even some daily feedback because they're weak in understanding. Well, we can get feedback. God gives us feedback, circumstances, other people, the Spirit. But the big performance appraisal actually happens at the end of our life. Let's look at verse 9 for... Uh, verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Again, we're going back to this mental concept of changing our minds. Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Have you ever had someone else uh, judge someone who worked for you and start telling them what to do? Or a coach on another team start coaching your players? Well, how does that, how does that, how does that go off? Or you, have, or you say you call some another, another company and say, I noticed your guys were really not very good at this activity. I'm going to have a seminar for them. And we're going to get them straightened out. How's that going to go over? Or maybe you're, you're in the line at, at, uh, at Walmart. Well, Walmart doesn't. Uh, <laughs> maybe you're in the line at Target. And, uh, and somebody behind you says... Uh, you know, your children are not dressed well. Bring them over here for a minute and I'll give them a little mini etiquette course on, on appropriate dressing. You can come too. We need to get you straightened out. How, how's that going to go over? What are you going to say? Yeah. Who are you? Right? I, I'm this kid's parent. Who are you to be telling me that? Now, if someone's spending a lot of their time judging other people, let's say you've got a group of engineers. And one of the engineers comes to you and says, Hi, i got a little dossier on all ten of the other engineers in this department. This guy did this. This guy did this. This guy, this guy, well, this guy needs to be reprimanded for sure because he did that. What do you, you're, you're the boss now and you're listening to all this. What do you know about this person? They're not doing their own job, right? They're spending all their time making sure everybody else is doing their job and they're not doing their own job. That's what you know. What are you going to tell that guy? Let's walk over to the fireplace with your dossier and throw it in. And then let's get you focused on your job because you're trying to be the boss and I'm the boss. Can we got that straight? Right? Okay, well, we are this way and we're very limited in our capabilities. What do you think the big boss is going to say when we all stand before him and he says... Ah, well, I see you got a big dossier here for other people. I'll tell you one thing he's going to say. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. I'll tell you, that this scares me to death. This is one of the biggest mental model changes I've ever had. 
Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. So here's what the dossier is going to have. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for that dossier. Well, let's see here. The standard you used for Billy was this. I'll use that for you now. Oh, the standard used for Diane was this. I'll use that for you now. And you know what Billy and Diane are going to get from your dossier? Nothing. It's not going to matter one lick. We're not the boss. God's the boss. But what it will matter is we will get judged by how we judged others. Man, I tell you what, when that sunk into me, I got so much more lenient. Why? I'm going to need a lot of mercy. I'm going to need a lot of mercy. But you know what? All of us are. Look at this. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at 1 verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. You know, this is Paul at the end of his life. And was not ashamed of my chain. Paul's in jail at the end of his life. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day, the judgment day. Isn't that funny? Paul is at the end of his life, and he says, you know, I I finished the race. There's laid up for me a crown. I won. I'm a winner. And yet, of Onesiphorus, he says, man, I I hope the Lord shows him mercy. Why didn't he say, I know the the Lord's going to reward him for this? He's not the boss. And you know what? How many of us are going to deserve anything, really? Compared to Jesus, let's say. Okay, it's just not, and we're not going to deserve, but God's a merciful God. To whom much is given, much is expected. What's the counter to that? To whom little is given, little is expected. He's going to judge us based on what we were capable of and where we are. Because one of the things that God's able to do that we need to learn to do is see through the eyes of others. One of the things about working in a, a job that is God's company and thinking about God as the ultimate performance appraiser. If we have that view, here's what it allows us to do. It allows us to have multiple perspectives. Now, this is real maturity, I would say. It's, it's pretty rare in my experience. But when we can look simultaneously at about four different perspectives, we can gain so much more understanding. Let me go through Perspective number one is the one all babies have. They're aware of outside stimulus acting upon them. They just react. All of us have that one. And then somewhere about six, nine months, they become aware that there's a person on the other end of that. Some of it. Uh, They're looking at me. And they'll lock eyes with you. And when you smile, they smile. And that's a person. They see me. They know it's me. And and now I react to them because they're looking at me. I think everybody gets there too. I'm afraid many people get stuck there. You think about people on a beach. Does everyone on a beach think everyone's looking at them? The males think everybody's looking at their muscles or lack thereof. 
The females think everybody's looking at their physique or some whatever else they happen to accent that day. So we, we all tend to focus as though everyone's looking at us. And if you just think about the logic of that, if we think that, and isn't, isn't it highly probable everybody else thinks that too? Which means everybody thinks everybody's mainly looking at them, which means no one's looking at anybody. Right? But, but if we have this perspective about God as boss, we can actually move to the next level, which is actually learning to see what you see. I can actually listen to another person to the point to see what they see. I may not agree with what they see, but I can at least see what they see. Well, now I can see that a weaker brother has a stumbling... Oh, they think that's a sin. Well, then for them it is. Well, then, then I need to uh, not create a stumbling block for that person because I can see what they see. I don't agree with it. That's weak faith. But I can see what they see, and now I can minister to this person. And then the ultimate perspective that we're being invited to have is God is the one that's going to judge. God's perspective is this perspective that really matters. And look at a couple of key things here in verse 11. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. So who's going to get away with something? We can relax. Nobody's going to get away with anything. How many knees? Every knee. What, who's left out of every? Look, it's all going to work out. I, I get indignant when bad things happen and when unrighteousness goes un, undealt with. I get really indignant. There's a place for that. We talked last week about our role in the government. That in the U.S. government, we the people are the ultimate answers to hold government accountable to do good. So we have a role to play. But ultimately, it's just a role. We don't have a monarchy. We can't, we can, we can't just dictate something to happen. So some bad things are going to happen. That doesn't mean we ought to feel good about it. But everything's going to be sorted out because every knee will bow. And then look, every tongue shall confess to who? To God. Every tongue shall confess. It's all going to get sorted out. We don't have to judge the world. If we can see from God's perspective a, a little bit about the timeline, that everything's going to be sorted out, uh, that in particular, our lives are an opportunity to know Him by faith. And to the extent we know God by faith, we're experiencing eternal life. Eternal life's a gift. It's a reward. It's a reward as we come to know God. And if we can see that perspective, well then, the travails of life, we can understand it as a James 1 type opportunity. Even if the travails came from our own mistake, we can learn from the mistake, and then we can say, okay, now this is an opportunity for me to walk in faith. So when we can see these multiple perspectives, we can gain a tremendous maturity. We can learn to love others. Well, the last thing I'll go through is that this reward, this judgment seat of Christ, goes to those who are victorious. The Bible teaches all about perseverance because running the race to the end is kind of what the goal is here. Perseverance is not a prerequisite for acceptance into God's family. That's a free gift. Perseverance is a prerequisite for gaining 
all from life that God has granted us the opportunity to gain. Both now and at this judgment seat. If we retire from life and stop serving others, however much of that life that's left has been wasted. And we will not get a reward for that. Neither here nor in the time to come. We're all going to give an account of ourselves. And we can end by going to Revelation 3. And in Revelation chapter 3, my favorite overcomer verse. Overcome is the Greek word nikeo. Nike is the goddess of victory. So it's to him who is victorious. This is 321. To him who is victorious, I, Jesus speaking, will grant to sit with me on my throne. So you're going to help me rule the universe. This is the ultimate reward, I would say. Is the, the rewards in, in the letters to the seven churches tend to escalate in intimacy with God as they go through. I will grant to sit with me on my throne to him who overcomes as I also also overcame and sat down. And we can go to Philippians 2 and we can see that Jesus sat down on the throne of man because he had the humility to come as a man and learn obedience even to death on the cross. It was something he earned. It was a reward. The God of the universe earned something. That's astonishing. God did not have to earn acceptance with God. He was already accepted with God. He is God. We don't have to earn acceptance with God. We're His children. He gave it to us. But we have the opportunity to do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't accept Jesus into His heart. Jesus overcame temptation and served and learned obedience even to death on the cross. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The reasonable, logical thing to do is become a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice loses its life so that the one sacrificing it can salt it and eat it and say, yummy. And what we're supposed to do is lose our life every day. Set aside all those two-year-old impulses to control the world and be the boss and run the company and say instead, you know, the boss of our company is the one that knows best. I'm not going to give the judging performance appraisals. I'm going to let God do that. And when we do that, what we're doing is bringing righteousness into the world because that's what righteousness looks like. God, thank you for your word and for your righteousness that you pour through us. Help us live it and demonstrate it to others, Lord, because we have a renewed mind about who you are and what company we work for. In Jesus' name, amen.